If you would turn to John 16, and we'll pick up in verse 16 of John 16, we have a fairly substantial passage of scripture. Because of the subject matter, it points us to the time that we'll spend at the end of the service at the cross. Because it was at the cross that Jesus actually transformed our trials into joy. Because if Christ didn't die for our sins, if we're not forgiven, if we're not going to heaven, if he did not defeat sin and death, then we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. And no matter what we'd have on this life, there would be no joy. But because Christ died, because he did sacrifice his own life in our place, we now have eternal life who believe in him. And so this supper that we'll celebrate is for the church. It's for believers. And if you're here today and you've asked Christ into your life, if he is your personal Lord and Savior, then we want to invite you to join us as we pass out the elements. Um, Please receive them with gladness and with joy. But if you've yet to profess your faith in Christ, um, this is a moment for you to make a decision whether you want to receive and believe in the only begotten Son of God who died in your place so that you might have eternal life. If you want to do that, then feel free to invite Christ into your life even today, this morning, before these elements come and, and join us at the table. But if you don't know Jesus, we would ask that you would simply allow the element trays to pass. Um, You're under no obligation to take of them. But it is a serious thing because we're honoring the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for our sins. And we don't want anybody to participate that doesn't believe in Jesus because it really defames his name and what he did on the cross. So just allow the, the tray to pass you by. As you turn your attention to verse 16 here, Jesus is now going to speak to the disciples They're about to go into the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to pray this incredible high priestly prayer as he reaches out to God the Father, as he has a final moment or two with his heavenly Father before he's arrested, before he's taken before Pilate and Annas and Caiaphas and Herod, before he gives his life a ransom for us. He's going to speak these final words to the disciples. And as you might imagine, they have some questions for Jesus. And I want to remind you that it's such a beautiful picture of where we are as the body of Christ because there are some things I still have question about. Even though I spend a vast majority of my time studying God's word and teaching God's word and understanding what it says as best as I humanly possibly can, There are things that I really can't give you a complete, solid answer why God allows those things to happen to certain people and yet someone else in the same situation does not have that experience. Tragedy may be in one life and not that same tragedy in another life and yet there's no substantial difference between the two people. Why one infant child gets pneumonia and doesn't make it to its first birthday, I don't have an answer specifically for that, that pain, that anguish. But I do know this, that God works all of our trials and transforms them ultimately, just as we already sung today, 
uh, that beautiful paraphrase of Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for the good, for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. So if you're a believer today, you can rest and trust that no matter how painful something may be that is a trial to you, God is and will use it in your life to transform who you are more into the image of Jesus. The disciples are now going to receive that message. And would you pray with me and we'll ask him to speak to us as he spoke to them on that evening. Father, please, we need you to speak to us. And so we give you this time. We give you back the word that you authored, that you would bring it to life for us, that we would understand and know what you intend for us through it. Bless us with understanding of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 16, and it begins this way, a little while. You see, when I think of a little while, I can only think of it in the context of human terms if I'm thinking only about this world. So a little while for me when it's like it is now around lunchtime and I'm in the line and in and out trying to get a burger, a little while is about three seconds. (laughs) A little while when you're having a great time somewhere seems to disappear quickly. But Jesus is using eternal speech here. He's speaking of a little while as it relates to our eternal existence. He says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now there's really three ways you can look at this particular sentence. And I believe he's speaking uh, of a very specific time. You see, a little while, Jesus is going to die. He's going to be tried. He's going to be executed. He's going to be placed in a grave. In a little while, the disciples will see him. But when he's placed in the grave, they will not see him. And he's going to be raised. And he's going to appear to them just a couple of days later, three days specifically, to some of them. But over the next 40 days, he will appear to all of them. So it could be a little while, as in that day, in the garden, three days later, or maybe in the intervening 40 days. Or there could be another thing that's in view here, and we're going to find out it is in fact that. And that's in a little while eternally, because Jesus is coming again. Amen? And so look what he says. And you will see me in a little while, and you will see me because I go to the father and then some of the disciples said among themselves what is this he says to us in other words they're talking amongst themselves because they don't understand they have a question they don't quite get it and this is where it touches your life and mine there are things that God says that sometimes I don't quite get I don't know some of the answers to life's dilemmas Some I have a fairly solid understanding of. Others I just simply don't. And remember who this is that's being spoken to. These are the guys that went to Jesus' Bible college. Amen? 
They hung out with him for three and a half years. They walked with him everywhere. They talked with him daily. They could ask the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. They could ask him personally anything. And yet somehow they didn't have all the answers. Gives us great hope, doesn't it? It allows me to realize that there's going to be times when I'm going to ask God some questions and he may not tell me directly what I need to know because he's at work in my life on an eternal time scale, not just simply figuring out every moment of every day so I'll have an answer to the little tiny things. He's working on the whole of it all at once. So what is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. And they said therefore what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's saying. They're being open. They're being honest. And you can also be open and be honest with God. He knows what you don't know. And in fact let's take it a step further. He not only knows the answers to the questions you do ask, he knows the answers to the questions you don't ask. And furthermore, he even knows why you don't ask the one question and do ask the other and the reason for both. Amen? So he gets your questions. He understands why you ask him what you ask him. And he wants to speak into your life. And so your obligation is to speak to him. You've got to ask him. You need to do what the disciples rightly did here, which is, Lord, what do you mean? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to understand everything he tells you, though. If anyone tells you that they know everything the Lord's ever spoken to them, they're just not being honest. I can tell you there's things that have happened in my life I still yet to have the answer to exactly why God allowed those things in my life. What what exactly were you doing? I have a general sense because we sang about it already. Amen? All things work together to the good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know that up here. But when I'm facing a difficulty, I get just like the disciples. And I say, what, God? Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and they said to him, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? See how he knew their heart? At first, they're asking amongst themselves. They finally boldly asked the question outright, but Jesus knew before they actually asked that they had been talking amongst themselves. He's got really good eternal hearing. So while you're having those little conversations with yourself, he's listening. Amen? Why are you asking amongst yourselves what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, and notice this, he's now going to illustrate this whole thing. I say to you that you will weep and lament And the world will rejoice. Now, you can see he's going to the cross. Of course, they're going to weep and they're going to lament. They're going to watch their friend. They're going to watch their mentor. They're going to watch the one to whom they went to his Bible college for three and a half years, beaten and bruised and nailed to a cross. And they are going to cry their eyes out. And furthermore, they're going to abandon him. They're going to... 
walk on the promises that they made to the Lord, but the world's going to be going. Pilate's going to say, great, I'm done. The Jewish religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees are going to be going, we won. The Jewish people who were in the audience that day as they were offered Barabbas or Jesus are going to be going, yes, we finally got a warrior. They're going to rejoice that Jesus is dead. And so it's very clear he's talking about something very specific here. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow's going to be turned into joy. And I don't know how Jesus said that. But I know that's the truth because the elements that represent what he did that turned sorrow into joy happened at Calvary's cross. Amen? You see, his beating, his bruising, the lashes he took, the crown of thorns, the stick that was used to beat that crown onto his head, the bag put over his face and he was punched the nails in his hands, the sword that was nearly put to him, the spear that was thrust into his side, all of it, every bit of it from a human perspective was sorrow of sorrows. But what it did for you and me, because in his death, he defeated death for me He died for my sins so that my sins can be forgiven and I can have eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen? You see, so the sorrow was turned into joy. What looked like a disaster was the world's greatest victory. Amen? So he's speaking eternally here to people who are thinking temporally or in time. And now he illustrates it further. And men, can I just say to you, we cannot relate to what Jesus is saying actually. But you ladies, feel free to say amen, okay? A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Here's the way this works. No woman says, you know, I just can't wait to go to have labor pains. Amen, ladies? Nobody's going, wow, I just hope I absolutely am agonizing in pain. No, that isn't what happens. There's a little bit of fretting and sweating that goes on before that hour comes, amen? And so you ladies understand this in a way that us guys can't. We have to take your word for it. And thank you for bringing us into this world, by the way. In case you guys hadn't noticed, we are indebted to all the ladies in the world because without them, there ain't none of us happening. Amen? But check this out. As soon as the child has come, the birth has happened, as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. And here's what happens. The baby's delivered. The baby is put in mom's arms and she looks into the eyes of the baby and says, what pain? (laughs) Now, maybe there's still a little remnant, but the, the idea is That child, because that was the whole goal of the pain, was the baby. And in the same way, the whole goal of the cross was to take you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and make you alive. Amen? 
That's the eternal perspective. The pain no one looks forward to. The pain Jesus is actually going to ask in the garden. Father God, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me. But there isn't. And there's no way to get away from birth pains either. Unless you're like divinely anointed and appointed, which I have never heard of. So that's you. Praise the Lord. For joy, that human being has been born into the world. And so now he takes it back to their present situation. And therefore, you now have sorrow. Because the cross is looming. It's, it's, it's visible to them. But I will see you again. You have sorrow right now. But I'll see you again. You're going to watch me die. But I'll see you again. You're going to see me nearly ripped to shreds. But you'll see me again. You're going to see me give my life a ransom for many but you'll see me again. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen? Every eye will see it. When he comes again, nobody will miss him. So he's saying, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be scared. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, oh, there is no way on the face of this earth I'm going to deny you. And yet we know, because we'll cover it, that not only does Peter deny the Lord Jesus, the third time is is almost unbelievable. Because here, Peter has been following kind of in the shadows And and he goes to this gathering of people around a campfire and he sits down with them and almost pretends like he's somebody else. And some little servant girl sitting in the crowd goes, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter begins to swear. I don't know the man. didn't stop Jesus from going to the cross and he knew Peter was going to do that. Didn't stop Jesus from dying for Peter and even better still, it didn't stop Jesus from restoring Peter the same three times that Peter denies him. That's how beautiful the picture of the cross is. And your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. See, he only needed to die once. And that joy that we have because of who we are in Christ is eternal joy. It's not temporal joy. It's not attached to things on this earth. And so to make sure we understand it, notice verse 23. In that day, it's an Old Testament phrase used primarily by the prophets. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah used the phrase in that day. It referred to a time that is yet still future for us, a time that we call the time of Jacob's trouble and beyond, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and then the millennial reign of Christ. In that day, things are going to be different. 
Because as the body of Christ, when the Lord returns to this earth after he's raptured his home, we're coming back as priests and kings to our God to rule and reign with him. It's going to be way different. And that joy no one can take from you because it has nothing to do with who's in the White House. Amen? It has nothing to do with political issues. It has nothing to do with socioeconomic things. It's because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has said so. Amen? Can't take that away. And that day you'll ask me nothing. You won't need to. You'll know him personally. You'll have talked to him. And most assuredly, I say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name. He hasn't gone yet, so they're not praying through him yet. He's standing right there. They're praying directly to the Father, just as Jesus is doing. And you'll receive that, that your joy may be full. In verse 25, he goes on now and says, These things I've spoken to you in a figurative language, but the time is coming when I no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, same time period, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. You won't need to. You're going to be with him eternally. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Remember, he that believes in me believes in the Father also. You can't pull the Trinity apart. You don't get to pick and choose why, you know, as Jehovah's Witnesses do. They try and leave Jesus out and the Holy Spirit out and it's just God. You can't do it. If you believe in Christ the Son, you believe in God the Father. If you believe in God the Father, you believe in Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son said that he was sending the third person, God the Holy Spirit, called the He. You get the whole package deal, three in one. Amen? It's a beautiful picture of how the Lord works in our lives. For the Father himself loves you because he loved me and believed that I came from God and I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world to go back to the Father. He's saying, look, I'm going back where I came from. That's how we can know that before the foundation of the world, he was seen as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world because he was there as creator God. He's never been anything less than that. He was born into the world that he created as a man but he's always existed as christ the son his disciples said to him see how you're speaking plainly in other words hey we get this thanks for illustrating so sometimes god does give us things that it's like wow i got it i understand that you're not using a figure of speech and now we are sure that you know all things And have no need that anyone should question you. And by this we believe that you came forth from God. What a profession of faith. We believe you're I am. They're saying, you're God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? He's confirming what they've already said. This is rhetorical. The answer to it is based on what's already been professed. Indeed, the hour is coming and yes, now has come. That you will be scattered each to his own. Remember where the disciples go? Peter doesn't stay around Jerusalem. Matter of fact, he goes back to fishing, doesn't he? Here comes Jesus walking on the water yet again. It's like, hey, what are you guys doing? Let's have breakfast. 
and you'll leave me alone. Jesus is going to face the cross of Calvary alone. No one will be with me. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And we see that at the cross, don't we? Eloi, Eloi, Zama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me for that brief moment in time when God the Father takes his eyes off Jesus the Son as he bears the sin of the world on Calvary's cross? First time in all of eternity that God the Father and God the Son were separated when he took your sins upon himself and paid the price for them. God the Father was there because he would further cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit to tell us thy, Father, it's done. It's finished. What I came to do, I've done. And he gives up his spirit. It's not taken from him. He surrenders it. Do you now believe? I'm not alone. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen? You see what Jesus is saying here is look, these things that he's going to do are exactly the opposite of way, the way we chiefly function here in this world. You see, we function by substitution. When your children come to you and maybe they've broken a toy, we go buy a new toy, right? We try and give a new toy to replace the old toy. Or when a relationship between two people is broken, we try and go get a new partner so that the broken relationship is fixed by substitution. Or if we're having a bad day, we go and eat an entire half gallon of Ben and Jerry's ice cream because we're substituting something good for our pain. But that's not how God works. God transforms the painful situation into something new that's more valuable than something that you would substitute. It actually takes the pain and makes it good, Romans 8, 28. That's how God works. So those trials that you face, those troubles that you endure, the tests that you undergo are actually for your maturing. For your sanctification, to make you more like Jesus, God is not going to take away all the bad and give you new things that are good. He's going to use those bad things and transform them into something that is good. And that's why we don't always understand initially what God's doing. Because he doesn't take away every bad thing. He doesn't take away every cancer. He doesn't allow every single child ever born to make it fully through life. Sometimes they die before their first birthday. He allows very good people to get cancer and to live extremely pain-filled lives for a period of time. But know this, that last breath here is the first breath there and they are transformed. Amen? So he's looking at it from the eternal when we look at it from the temporal. 
He does not bring joy by substitution, good for evil, but by transformation, trials into triumphs in our life. That's how we mature. And in essence, it's the picture of maturity versus immaturity. Because I'll tell you this, Christians that have never faced trials, number one, I begin to wonder whether they're actually God's kids or not. Because if you're not being tried and tested, you have to wonder, are you really one of God's kids to begin with? But say you are and and you go through these trials and tests, something good comes out of the other side. It doesn't make the pain less. Jesus says here very plainly, you're going to have sorrow. You are going to experience pain. But God takes his miraculous workings and takes those painful things, those situations, he adds in a couple of miracles, and voila, there's a new triumph in your life. An area that you never would go to of your own choosing. Look, I'm telling you, none of you here who are wives, who are mothers, who have been either, and you're looking towards you know, having children, you're not just going, man, I just can't wait to have birth pains. If you are thinking that, we need to, we need to have somebody examine you to see if there's any gray matter up there. No, we, we don't choose pain. We don't choose anguish. We don't sit there and go, you know, Lord, just pour out upon me your wrath, okay? I just want to experience it. We don't do that. We want things to be well. We want things to be good, but God knows if he only gives us good things, just like when your kids go to the, the checkout aisle at Walmart, you don't say, just take one of each. <laughs> Amen? Because you do not have enough money for the dental bills that will be involved after they consume all that, and they'll need help because of the, the sugar imbalance in their life. Amen? It may taste good, and a little bit of that is okay, and it's good for you, but if you try and exist on nothing but the sugars of life, you will be an ill-balanced person, whether you're an adult or a child. And so it is a balancing act of those trials bringing things into your life that you wouldn't have through goodness. And God knows the perfect balance of how much of each, and that's what brings you to maturity. You can see this throughout the scriptures. Egypt was glad when Israel departed. But how long did they keep the lesson that God was for them? They get to the other side of the Red Sea and what do they start doing? That stinking Moses. I can't believe he brought us out here to die. They start jawing with each other, making false gods, dancing around, partying while Moses is up hearing from God. They're throwing everything away. And so God brings them a couple of tests, amen? Here come some nice serpents. They get bit. Look at live. They needed some maturing because God had preserved them, but they didn't get it. They didn't learn the lesson, so they got to learn it again. But God changes our concept of time. He says, look, Jeff, I want you to focus on the eternal things. Because this world is passing away in the lust of it. Amen? One day, and it's going to be, it's just going to be a blip. 
So sometimes when I when I'm doing memorial services, the the most wonderful hope that I can offer is that in the grand scheme of things, the timeline of heaven, our lives being a vapor, eternally we're we're gonna wake up and we're gonna be in heaven too. That doesn't make the pain of the loss of that loved one lessen in that moment, but it causes you to refocus on what will be one day. And right now that seems forever, but in God's time, it's really short. We all have questions only God can answer. We, we all have things we want to ask God. And you've got to take the time to go to the Lord, even though he already knows why you're asking what you're asking. And he knows what you're asking. He already knows what the answer is going to be. He delights to hear from his kids. And so talk to him. Speak to him. Make sure that you're asking him a question or two. As Jesus uses the word ask, for you and me, when we ask of him, we're using the second word. There's two of them in this passage. And the first one, when he's talking about what they're doing with each other, it's one person asking a peer. But the second word is ask someone who is superior to you. And it is that one that he asked the disciples to use when asking of himself or God. But he never uses that word when he speaks of himself asking his father because they're equal. He says, just ask. You're going to have questions in life. And the Lord knows it. Until we get home to be with Jesus, that is the way life is going to go for us. And so he says, look, to put these things as principles and to lay hold of the promises, you have to ask of the Lord. Now, here's here's a way you can kind of shortcut some of this. Go to the Word, because you already have some answers there. Amen? So if you you want to know what God has already spoken on anything, because he's not going to change his mind on it, you just go to the Word. So when you read the word, you're asking of God, God, speak to me, like this passage. When somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, I just knew that once I became a Christian, I'd never have another problem. I can say, well, no, not really. Because God's already spoken on that issue. Jesus specifically said, I'm going to actually send you out as sheep amongst wolves. In this world, you will have tribulation, but... Don't worry, I've overcome it. But you're going to go through stuff. So I already have an answer as to whether I'm going to live a life that will be completely filled with nothing but good things. The answer to that is almost assuredly no. Amen? That's why he says, don't think it's strange when you fall in, as James said, to diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And who likes patience? But when it has its completed work, it leaves you complete and lacking nothing. So we all need patience. So what do you think is going to happen? Your patience is going to get tested like mine does in lines for TSA. (laughs) Amen? I stand in those lines and I watch them wrap back and forth across the airplane terminals around the world. And I'm like, the devil invented this (laughs) to test me. (laughs) 
the Lord uses it. So I end up sharing Jesus with people while I'm standing there. Lord, I'm sorry I was complaining about the lines again. Right? I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements. And I apologize, we're running just a hair late. I crammed a, a whole bunch of things into this morning. And we've kind of steadily gotten a little later each time. So forgive me for that. But as we turn our attention now to the Lord's table, you can clearly see how this passage ties into communion. Because the sorrow of the Lord Jesus has brought us great joy. His sacrifice paid the price for your sins. So we who once were dead in our trespasses and sins, by his cross, he's made us alive. Amen? We now have eternal life by believing in his name. And that came at a great cost. Jesus was nearly destroyed humanly. He was beaten beyond recognition. And there was no stripe that was laid to him that was deserved of him. Those were my stripes. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, by his stripes, I am healed. In other words, he was beaten for me. The chastisement for my peace was put upon Christ at the cross. This whole passage really is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we now have this new position that is a joyous position because of his sorrow and because of his sacrifice. I was flying back yesterday. Actually, we landed about close to nine o'clock last night. I was thinking of this passage just going, Lord, I don't think I would have done that even for myself. I'm not sure I would have endured what you endured just to save me. I probably would have chickened out. That garden prayer probably for me would have been something like this. Father, I just can't do it. I'm out. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus, in response to your sin and mine, said, I'm going to do it. I'll take every lash I'll take the thorns, I'll take the beating, I'll take the nails, I'll take all of it because I want to transform their sorrow into joy. And what happened through his broken body was instead of my body being broken for my sin, his body was broken in my place. He took everything that was necessary because he was perfect and I'm not and neither are you that's by the that's the reason that the apostle paul would write by the works of the flesh is no one justified you're not capable of receiving a beating sufficient to take care of your own debt you are not capable of bleeding out 
enough blood of your own, not one drop of it is righteous, so all of it could be spilled and you'd still be short of paying the debt. Amen? So he did that for us. And where our sacrifice of our own selves would never be sufficient, his sacrifice was completely sufficient for anyone who will ask. That's why this is so solemn. That's why when we celebrate communion, when we go to the Lord's table, when we join at the table of grace, it moves from this old position of who I was and what I used to know and how I used to live my life to who I am now in Christ. You see, he freed me from my debt. That debt that I owed from everything that I've ever done that was not okay with God and everything that I will yet still do. And the reason this is so important is Jesus speaks these words and it is the same evening that the disciples all flee. He tells them, you're going to abandon me. Don't you think they might have thought, hey, this is what he said, let's hang, guys. Jesus is going to ask them, could you guys just stay up with me a little while and pray? And what do they do? They go to sleep. Do you think you could be with me while I'm being tried? And they all run away. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. Amen? Do you see the picture? Jesus is telling them in advance, you guys are going to mess up. But I'm still going to go to the cross anyway. I'm still going to die in your place because I love you that much. Peter, even though I know you're going to deny me three times, I'm still going to die in your place. That new position that you now have and I now have is one of pardon. Can you imagine? Because look, here's the deal. You're still guilty. You're still actually guilty. In a legal sense, you are still guilty. But he's fully pardoned you. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be as white as wool, not because you don't have any sins, but because his blood has cleansed those sins. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Do you see it? You see, he did for for you and for me what I can't do for myself. I can't die for myself because I'm not righteous. And until I get to heaven, the righteousness I do have is actually his righteousness. And when I get to heaven, I'll have that in fullness and no more sin dwelling in me. Can't wait for that day. So he's pardoned me. He said, I'm gonna pay your debt. I'm going to fully erase your debt, past, present, future, full pardon. There's nothing you can ever do. And that's why Romans 
8 begins with, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You're fully pardoned. But on top of that, in the place of your sin, he's given you ultimate power. Think about it for a second. The Holy Spirit of God now dwells in you so that you can humble yourself and resist the devil and no longer be governed because he killed sin and death at the cross. It no longer holds power over you. The only power it has is the power that you give it. It's not that he is insufficient. He's fully sufficient. But we sometimes don't appropriate his sufficiency exactly like the disciples are about to do. They're going to waffle. They're going to walk. But he is still faithful. And so his power now courses through your veins. And you have his presence. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? That's because of the cross. That's not because you're good. That's not because you go to church. It's not because you go in the mission field. It's not because you give. It's not because of any good thing that I have done, but because of the grace wherein he has loved us, lavished upon us his great love. Because of what he did at the cross, you have his pardon, his power, his presence, and his peace. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. Take your elements with you. And for a moment, I just want you to bow your heads, and I I want you to ask the Lord right now, if there's something in you, you brought something with you to church today, And it is an issue between you and God before we participate at his table, before we go and ask him and thank him for what he did at the cross. Let's ask him to cleanse our sin. Let's ask him to take those things. And so I want to just take a moment and you pray for yourself. You ask God, if there's anything in you that needs to be squared up, square it up. And then we'll pray together over the elements. And it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed when he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. said in like manner in like fashion after supper took the cup of praise 
we raised it and prayed because we have a lot to be thankful for. And he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sin. And as often as you drink from it, you show forth my death until I come, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord of hosts, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to Calvary's cross to be beaten and bruised, broken. He himself, you Jesus, being the bread of life, broken for us. Lord, that you would give such a gift as your own life in our place, we can't understand. Lord, we still have questions. But we thank you that you shed your blood for us, the only substance in the whole universe that's able to do what needed to be done, to pay the debt of our sin, to wash it away, to fully redeem us, to ransom us, to bring about that pardon. Lord, we thank you for your blood. And we ask now that you would set our feet upon the rock and help us to serve you all of our days. Lord, help us to live lives that show our deep affection, our love, our appreciation for what you did. Use us for your glory your plans and purposes, God. Transform our trials into useful joy for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.